All right, let's open up our Bibles to James uh, chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, please pick one up over at the resource table, and you can follow along with us. That's James chapter 5. If you're visiting, we are going through the book of James this summer. Uh, We'll be ending in a few weeks, and then we'll pick up where we left off in the spring and end of summer, or beginning of summer, uh, with 1 Samuel. So we finish 1 Samuel, we're going to then go to 2 Samuel, and we're really going to get to know David a whole lot more as a result. So we are at James chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 6. This is God's holy word. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Uh, God, as we come uh, before you right now, as we consider uh, just the subject of money and and riches and the pursuit of wealth, God, help us, one, uh, to be convicted where we are misguided, where we have placed our trust wrongly, but we also... uh, pray that you would allow us to see that every good and perfect gift is from you, that you enable us at times to have riches so that we can be generous and bless others, and ultimately help us to see that the best, most glorious, most priceless riches that we have is Jesus. So we pray in his name. Amen. All right, does money fix all of our problems? Nobody's, yeah. Does it make life easier? Sometimes it does. I think William Post III might argue with you. He is a man from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania Lottery, 1988, he won. Uh, Coming into the playing of the lottery, he was very poor. He even claims that he had a little over $2 in his name, uh, and yet he felt the need to spend money on a lottery ticket. That's a whole other conversation. But he did. And he won the lottery, $16.2 million, 1988. Three months, he was in debt for $500,000. Now, mind you, I think he got payments, so he didn't get all the money at once. Uh, In the early 1990s, he filed for bankruptcy by 2006. So 18 years later, he was living on food stamps. Oh, and I forgot to mention, uh, during that time when he still had some money, his brother hired a hitman to kill him so he could inherit the money that his brother had won. So, and he was quoted as saying this. He says, everybody dreams of winning money, but nobody realizes the nightmares that come out of the woodwork or the problems that arise from having such wealth. And I think, and this is where we're going to see as we look at our passage today, there is something about wealth and what it can do, notice I said can do, to the human heart as it pulls 
us far away from the Lord. This is a warning passage. We're going to see the dangers of wealth. We need to realize this passage is not against wealth, as we'll look throughout the, the passage. It's the money and riches are not what is wrong. It's what we do with the riches. It's how we achieve the riches. And ultimately where our heart is in regards to the riches, that's the problem. We're going to see in the midst of all this that God's judgment is promised upon the wicked and he will not turn a blind eye to the suffering of his people. So take heart. So in in the very, uh, what you'd see maybe on a bumper sticker, more money, more problems. We're going to see the theme of judgment in our passage today. If you're a note taker, we're going to begin our time by looking at the fact that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And specifically, he's saying that judgment is coming for these wicked, rich people that are abusing their positions, are getting riches wrongly. God's going to judge them. But not only is judgment coming, judgment is a consequence We need to understand this. When we speak of God's judgment, God's wrath, God's condemnation, it is never arbitrary. It is always the result. It is always the byproduct of our sin, of our action. So we're going to see that judgment is a consequence. And then lastly, we're going to take note that judgment is certain. This is 100% happening. There is, uh, apart from repentance, And turning to Christ, there is no way you're getting out of it. You are guilty, and God knows, and he is a coming. So let's get started as we consider judgment is coming as we pick up at verse 1. Now, if you remember last week, James challenged a certain type of people. He's going to do the same this week. Last week, he challenged uh, very ambitious merchants. Do you recall? And what did they talk about? They talked about the future like they somehow had control of the future. We're going to go here, and we're going to make this much money, and we're going to be successful. And, and once again, we saw that it's not wrong that they were ambitious. The problem was in all of their plotting and all of their planning and all of their writing down of events on their calendar, not at one point did they give regard to who? To who? To God. God was never in the, the forefront of their minds. And that was where the problem was. As we look at the future, God always has to be center stage. And it's in that same idea we consider wealth. Wealth isn't the issue, but when we don't have wealth looked at through the lens of God, God's blessing of giving us wealth, God's blessing in us honoring him with the wealth, that is where the problem. He's going to expose these wicked, rich people. All right, so let's get started as we see their possessions corrode. Read verse 1 with me. He says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. A few preliminary words. When he talks about rich people, is he talking about rich people in general? Is he talking about rich people that are Christians in the church? Is he talking about another category? I would argue context-wise, he is speaking of rich people who are unbelievers, likely outside of the church. So there's a legitimate chance they're not even going to hear much of this message that James is proclaiming. Why do I think that? Several reasons. One, there is no call to repentance 
There is, in this little section, there's no mention of brothers or sisters in Christ, which is something that he has been a consistent pattern as we've looked through James. What he's functioning as in this, uh, few, these few verses is an Old Testament prophet. An example would be Amos. So Amos's uh, letter in the, the Old Testament, Amos 1.3, it says this, He's speaking of Damascus. He says, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So God is promising judgment on Damascus. If you go to chapters one and two in Amos, he promises judgment to Gaza, to Tyra, to Edom, to Moab. And what he's doing, he's proclaiming that God is judging the nations, That God's going to judge the unbelieving world that was all around Israel. And it's that same idea, I think, that James is trying to communicate to the people he's writing to. And I think there's several reasons for this. He's writing it to encourage them. Because if you recall, when we very began, James, they were dispersed through the area. And the vast majority of the audience that James is writing to demographically is poor. Most of the people are poor. They don't have much. They have been dispersed through the region. Christians are persecuted, so they don't get opportunities to hire. They don't get opportunities to make money. So in that context, it would be very easy to be very discouraged. We're faithful, God, and you're making us suffer. We have nothing while the unbelieving world has a lot. This is unfair. So he is, I think, encouraging them. I think he's also warning them of the potential if they allow their human heart to follow the path of the wicked rich people. That they start valuing things that they shouldn't value. That they start pursuing things that they have no business pursuing. He doesn't want them to envy He doesn't uh, want them to follow in their footsteps. A great example of this is in Psalm 73, when he looks at uh, the rich thriving in that. So it's, and we're going to look at that in a little bit, but don't follow in their footsteps. Vindication is coming. Don't lose heart. Lots of poor. Are you open to God's warning? Do you come before God's word with a vulnerability that, God, what do you have to speak to me? What do you want to say to me? Not only these uh, preliminary words, we see the wasting of possessions. Notice what they say in all this. James says that their, their, their stuff's going to rot. It's going to decay. Now, remember, they're an agrarian culture. So imagine grain, which is so important, so valuable to them. It is going bad. Does anybody know what some of the, the most expensive meat there is in the, in the world? Anybody? Do we have an answer? That's one of them. I, I found like multiple. So like Kobe steak, yeah, Wagyu beef. Um, part of the meat, I was looking up and I was, I was so hungry. It was during lunch and I'm eating like a peanut butter and jelly and I'm like, this isn't fair. Uh, I think Brian would have questions when we look at the church credit card and I have a $900 charge from over across the country. Um, but yeah, these, these meat, it's got this marbled intramuscular fat flavor. That's what makes it so juicy, so tender. It's why it's not the same as you and I going over uh, to Kroger or Meyer getting their strip steak that's on sale for $7.99. It's a big difference in the quality of meat. But that strip steak at Kroger and the Wagyu beef, 
you put that in a refrigerator or even set it out over time, no matter how expensive it was, is it going to last forever? It's going to smell. It's like, I don't know about you, I have a really strong nose smelling, and like, I'm a gagger. My wife will testify. I worked for a uniform company, and we had to pick up like um, soiled towels and everything, and I had to do KJ, is it K&J meats? Back in the day, so we're talking 20 years ago, and I would have to un, like sort all of their towels they used to wipe. Like even now, I'm starting to think about it. Uh, yeah, that's what happens. So whether you spent $7.99 on your, your beef or you spent $1,000, it rots. And that's what he's, he's, he's stressing this, that stuff corrodes they're clothes. I mean, imagine fancy clothes and clothes that you got over at the dollar store. Over time, what happens to them? If you let moths get to them, whether they were priceless clothes or not, it will ruin them. Now, gold and silver normally don't corrode, per se, but I think he's using this just illustrative that they don't last. Matthew six nineteen, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust decay and where thieves break in and steal. And what he's challenging them is that all of their hope, all of their trusting has been put on things that will not last. How guilty are you of that today? How attached are you to your possessions? Are things of this world your focal point your idols, where it's, it's, it's really kind of constantly focused on that next thing I'm going to get, that next car, that next house, that next electronic device, whatever it is. You see the propensity of our heart. Because not just that the possessions are going to corrode, the person is condemned. He goes on, and, and I mean, this is language of divine judgment. He says, weep and howl because of the miseries that are coming upon you. And then he uses a very graphic and even kind of disturbing image. It's going to eat your flesh like fire. And that's the words of judgment. That divine judgment is coming. I had a neighbor a couple months ago, his house caught on fire. And luckily, my other neighbor noticed that something was wrong before, so it wasn't a full... uh, fire. They were able to get out, but he's been out of the house for several months as they've had to do so much uh, renovation and smoke damage and everything in the house. But as I talked to him the one day, the one thing he said, he's like, yeah, it's costing insurance and stuff, but nobody was hurt. My wife wasn't hurt. My kids weren't hurt. or Even our pet wasn't hurt. The dog was actually there. It actually got out, so there was no real damage. So these things can be replaced. But when we speak of the judgment that James is talking about, he's moved on from possessions. He's talking about the person. And the person, it's going to hurt. It's the idea of, of judgment. In the, in the passage, he talks about you have stored up treasure in the last days. A little bit later, he says you fatten yourself on the day of slaughter. All of those images are the idea of God's judgment on mankind at the end. Acts 17, 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And then in that judgment, there will be wrath and condemnation. Even that language of, of burning 
It's the idea of hell, right? Matthew 13, 42, they'll be thrown into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping, remember, weep and howl, and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and howling carries pain. It's, it's worse than the normal pain that you and I talk about. We get hurt, you, you bang your shin, you might, you might howl a little, but like weeping and howling, it's that uncontrollable quivering. Maybe when bad news, like when I'm talking about serious news, the loss of a loved one, or, and you're just almost inconsolable. And he's looking to these rich people, even though they might not get this message, he said they should be weeping and howling because miseries, miseries of eternal significance, of everlasting consequences are coming for them. They will be held accountable. Well, one, are you ready for that kind of judgment? And two, are you proclaiming the good news to those who are under that judgment? I think when we hear language like weeping and gnashing of teeth, when we hear language of weeping and howling because of miseries that come upon us, we as followers of Jesus Christ should be so moved, so gripped emotionally, because that's real people. And if it wasn't for God's grace, you would still be under that wrath, still under that condemnation. But not only is it divine judgment, I think he's, he's warning them to not envy, don't uh, want to follow in their footsteps. I mean, do you ever catch yourself being envious? Everybody nod your head, you do. We were going to a football game up in Michigan, me and, me and Jeff uh, Ryan, uh, to watch our, our sons play, and a Lamborghini drove by us. It was so cool. <laughs> it was like... I was like, we were looking. Jeff's like, should we, should we try to race him? Like, most definitely in your little SUV. I, I, I like our odds. Uh, except there was traffic, so we couldn't even race him. So it wasn't even a chance to be cool. But yeah, and then I, for like probably the next five minutes, I daydreamed what it would be like driving in the Lamborghini. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm in the right profession for Lamborghinis. Uh, my best life now, right? Uh, but yeah, that envy is warning them about poor and the poverty, they're dispersed in the area. I, I think what he's trying to tell them is instead of wanting to be those people, you need to pity them. You need to pray for them. You need to preach to them. You need to be content with what God has given you. Don't want to be the wicked. Psalm 73 verse 3 says, I was envious of the arrogant. I was en- envious of the wicked when I saw the prosperity of them. The psalmist looks and he's like, it's not fair. And you and I, we get in that habit, don't we? We're faithful, we're following Jesus, we're doing the right thing. And it seems like week in and week out, we struggle through the daily routine of life and we look over at the wicked people, we look at the people that seem to just get away with everything. And, it, and we shake our fists, whether we do this literally or figuratively, and we say, it's not fair. It's not fair. I'm the one that should get what they get and they should be getting what I'm dealing with. But then in verse 17, he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. And like I said, this is not a message against rich people. This is a message of judgment against those that don't know Christ. And friends, when we look out at those people, there should be compassion and pity for them. Not envy and jealousy and judgment from our end. 
Or are you? Are you jealous of the wicked? Are you envious? Because judgment is not only coming, it's a consequence. It seems harsh. It might even seem a little unfair. Why is God so heavy-handed on this matter? One is because they have withheld. They have withheld. Read verse 3 with me, the second half. He says, you have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. They have been not giving what was earned. They didn't pay. Or they didn't pay what was agreed upon. There's a girl I graduated high school with, Shannon Schof. She is a lawyer. Her law firm specializes in suing companies who aren't paying. I, I might be narrowing her law practice, so if she hears this, that's not exactly what I do. This is what I get out of it via Facebook. But her law firm like, has consistently gotten people who companies didn't pay overtime that was agreed upon. Or they didn't pay the wage that they, and they, these companies tried to finagle them wa- their way and kind of get out of getting what was due to people. Deuteronomy, God warned his people about this. Deuteronomy 24, 14, you shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of our brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets. For he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. You need to realize, poor people in this culture, in this context, they were living day by day. No pay equaled no what? No food. Over a period of time, no pay, no food, no living. You end up dying. While these rich, wicked people are framing them, why are you giving what is owed? I would argue Christians should be the best businessmen and women in the world because we have integrity, we have character, we don't practice uh, in any shady fashion. But not only, they're not giving what has been earned, they're not giving from their abundance. That's the key, do you see? It says you have lived in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your heart. See, it's not a matter... You, you can't justify what the wicked are doing here. They're like, well, here's the problem. I know they earn this, but we had issues with our payroll, and we don't have much money in the bank, so we don't have enough money to cover payroll. But as soon as we get the money, we're going to pay you back. We're really sorry. We'll even give you a little extra. I'm really sorry. It's, that's not the excuse that could be made here. They were living in luxury, They had resources. I'll always remember this. I was younger. I was at my grandma and grandpa's. We were watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You remember with Robin Leach? I was going to try to do his accent. I don't even remember it now, so we'll let it be. Uh, And he was at some celebrity. I don't even know who the celebrity was. And they were touring the house. And they went to, they had a dog bathroom. And it was like, it's nicer than any bathroom I've seen in anybody's house I know. And like, I'm remembering this as like an 11-year-old or whatever. Even now, it's, it was so luxurious. That's kind of what was going on with these wicked rich people. People are suffering. They're withholding. And they are living it up. 
It's the imagery of money just constantly coming out of their hands. That's how they lived. They were good. And I think they were failing to appreciate that God blesses us so that you and I will be a blessing to who? To others. Genesis 12, 2. When he talked to Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. They were storing up treasures. They were living in luxury, self-indulgence, when they should have been at least using some of those resources, some of those possessions of blessing other people, of not withholding. You see, that's the problem with riches. And that's why this is not an indictment on being wealthy. It's not an indictment on being riches. It's an indictment on the human heart. It's an indictment on the fact that we often, when we have a lot, we give a little. We, we, we like to store up. We like to have our cake, but we don't want other people to eat it. And he's saying that should not be the case. Are you generous with your resources? How tight do you hold on to your money? And we're not talking about stewardship. That's good. Saving and, and being wise in how you spend your money. That's biblical. But when you hold on to your money tight, I think it, it reveals a lot about your heart. So they not only withheld, they have been wicked. Go to verse 6. He says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. They murdered the righteous. Probably not literal murder like you and I think. Because he already said in verse 4, he said in James 4, 2, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. So I don't think necessarily he's writing to a context that's the wild, wild west, where people are just killing people left and right, and there's this murder all over the place. That's, that's unlikely. Now, it also is likely that some actual murder probably did take place. People in positions of power and authority with wealth, it's easier to, to silence the person that maybe is being problematic who's saying that they're being unjust and everything. So that is definitely possible. But I think what it's likely talking about would be what we could even call judicial murder, how they were using the courts to ruin these people. We saw it in James 2.6. He says, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? They would victimize the poor. And we see the progression of that, right? We saw the progression of sin in James 1, 15, 14, 15. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it is given birth, uh, it conceives, it gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. You see the progression by the courts, they're withholding pay. They're, they're, they're getting out of paying what is due to people and what ends up happening is these people start getting less and less money and less and less money. They have less and less food and then less and less food and then it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the next thing you know, you've got starvation and people are dying. Think of Hagar. You remember in Genesis when she takes off with uh, her son Ishmael and they're out there and they can't find any food or water and she's like, my son's going to die. It's that kind of imagery. Do you downplay your actions? Do you downplay your sin? Because not just that they murdered the righteous, there was many victims. When he speaks of the righteous person, that the, the abuse, it, it's always shocking uh, when we see hurricanes hit the south and the day after the hurricane. When you look at, uh, uh, you know, they'll show even a 
beside photo of the photo before and then after, and you can't recognize. It could go through a, a beautiful neighborhood, and then the next day it looks like a war zone. You see, and that's what's happening because of these wicked people. That they're giving no regard for others. They're just kind of tearing themselves way through life. No concern for the victims. And that's uh, what is behind them. And we see the victims are not even resisting. Part of it might be because they're following Jesus' advice. Matthew five thirty nine: if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn uh, to him also another which brings greater judgment on the the guilty party. But also, they're not resisting because they can't resist. They don't have power. They don't have authority. The wicked uh, can ultimately make up the decision, and there's really little that they can do against it. There's no loving your neighbor as yourself. This is all about me. Well, do you care for others? Do you think of others? All right. So we've seen judgment is coming. We saw possessions corrode, person condemned. Uh, we see judgment's a consequence. They're withholding, but also they're just plain wicked. The wrath that is a future uh, is, is coming, and as if it already has come. Uh, why? Because there's evidence of guilt. Uh, read just, we're going to pinpoint a couple verses in there. He talks about how their corrosion will be evidence against you. And then he goes on and says, they are crying out against you and the cries of the harvester. In other words, he's saying there is an abundance of evidence. I think one of the court cases that we got to witness firsthand in our society that really was, was shocking to us was the 1995 O.J. Simpson trial, if you remember. He claims to be innocent then he ends up in his Bronco, his white Bronco, uh, trying to avoid the police, and they end up chasing him. And, and in, in the court, though, I always will remember in the, the, the court, uh, his, I think it was Johnny Cochran was his attorney. He says, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. And there's OJ putting his big hands in this glove, and he's making sure it doesn't fit. And he ended up getting acquitted, so he was not convicted of the murder of, of two people. But then he later was convicted in the civil uh, courts of giving up, like, I don't know, he had to pay like 40-something million dollars to the families of the victims. But problem with that case, though, still, in a lot of cases that we see, there's circumstantial evidence There's not a certainty with it. But he's saying that the wicked that we talk about right now, their judgment is a slam dunk case. Fingerprints everywhere, DNA everywhere, video footage, audio footage, and a hundred witnesses. Guilty, guilty, guilty. John 3.19 says, People love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who uh, does wicked hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And what James has done is he has flipped the light switch on and he has revealed uh, their, their judgment, that they're guilty, that their only hope is a plea deal. Well, do you see the evidence of guilt, of sin in your life? 
But not just the, uh, the abundance of, uh, of evidence, the arrogance in the evil. Notice that there's so much evidence because they're so brazen with their sin. They're guilty and they're, they're proud of it. These wicked would have, they wouldn't even probably defend themselves. If you accuse them of what James has accused them, they'd be like, so what? What difference does it Who are you to even question me? Romans 1.28 says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what is ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, and then it goes on to several other things. And he goes on to say, They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. They have not been hiding their sin. Well, do you see the pride of the wicked? Do you see how shocking it is, how brazen they are? And that's the human heart, friends. Apart from Christ, that is what the human heart is aligned towards and is directed. But not only do we see the evidence of guilt, lastly, we see the ears of God. And this is good news, and this is horrifying. All in the same. He says, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. God sees. God hears. He knows. Exodus 2.23. This is the people in Egypt. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant. That our cries reach him. They did for the Israelites. They do for us. He sees our pain. He sees our suffering. He sees our misery. He knows what is going on in your life right now. Isn't that comforting? He knows. And for those of you that don't know the Lord, though, that's not as comforting. That's scary. Psalm 10. Listen to the arrogance of the wicked. Psalm 10.10. The helpless are crushed. They sink down and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God is forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. And guess what? He sees it. So over by school where my kids go, uh, there is a neighborhood at, by Toledo Christian. And there are three side roads during the school day, in the morning and in the evening, after, during school. You are not supposed to use those roads. Because you're going to slowly influx, you know, a thousand cars going back and forth those roads. I'm pro not using those roads. I'm very judgy of people that use the roads. They send out emails all the time to the parents. Don't use the roads. And people use the roads. And I just look at them. I'm like, what are you doing? I do this. is like Literally when I drive by, I look over like, what are you doing? One time the person lived back there. I felt bad. I did not, I did not, I didn't factor that component in. They actually, some people live there, but this week it was, it was spectacular. It made my day. This, the little things in life. I drive by, we have a sheriff, we have like police officers now that are actually at the school uh, around the clock during the school year, which is encouraging and comforting as a parent. But the sheriff during it was, uh, at that point, he was sitting across the road to where you could not get by that road one of the days. He's sitting there, I'm like, sweet, he is going to get somebody. Because somebody's coming. Because people don't know there's a sheriff there. As I'm leaving and drive by there, there it is. He's standing outside of his car talking to a faculty member 
who pulled up. It made my day. I just, I, kept, I laughed. I was pointing. Yeah, I don't know if he got in trouble over it. But uh, yeah, it was, we, we laugh about that stuff. But we need to realize on a much more serious note that God is going to judge the wicked. He's going to judge them. No matter how brazen they are, no matter how confident they think they can get avoid it, get out of it. But also that he hears our cries. But you see, not only does he hear, he's going to do something about it. That's more important. It's good that we know God hears us, but if he's not going to do anything about it, if anything, it makes us feel as though he's uncaring, that he's unloving. Psalm 46 verse 7 says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And even here it talks about how it reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts, it's, it's military language. It's the head of the heavenly army. It's the position that the ears that are hearing you are somebody who has power and authority and might. He can do something. He will do something. He's going to judge the wicked and he's going to redeem and save the righteous. And that's why they should be howling. That's why they should be weeping because that mighty, awesome God is coming their way and he's either for you or against you. There is no middle ground. But to the person who trusts in him, there is deliverance. There's vindication. But the delay is good, my friends. Because if God, like right now today, if God comes today in final judgment, there are people who don't know Christ and they will be judged But if he comes tomorrow, maybe today will be the day that they turn to him. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should repent. This life is preparing us for glory. Well, do you find greater comfort in God's coming? I found a list this past week of the things that bring out the worst in people. Give me some ideas. What are some of the things that bring out the worst in people? What? Driving? Driving does. Driving does. That's not, it was on the list, but I'll agree. What are some other ones? I put, what was that? What? News. News is good. Politics. Social media? I mean, isn't it crazy? Like, you'll go on social media and somebody that's like really timid and quiet, all of a sudden, like on social media, like, whoa. Sports? I can't get over the number of fights that are regularly taking place amongst fans at NFL football games. It's insane. Drugs, alcohol, those things obviously bring out the worst. One of the ones that was on the list, and I agree, it was wealth, was money, the pursuit of it. Jesus warned that what good is it if you gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? There's something about wealth, there's something about material possessions that causes our heart to, to love, to worship, to pursue them rather than God, and we will do whatever it takes to get there, even if it ends up resulting in 
stepping on and hurting other people. The wicked were consumed in this passage by the dollar bill. They lived indulgent lives off the misery of others. They didn't care about anybody but self. And it's a warning passage. Beware of the dangers of wealth. Like I said, nothing is wrong with wealth inherently. Praise the Lord for resources. Praise the Lord for generous people. One of the reasons we have air conditioning in here today is God chose to bless the church through a generous individual, individuals and was able to, to make the, the difference. You see, God, God blesses people in so many ways. But beware that judgment is coming on the wicked. He will not turn a blind eye to the suffering of his people, so take heart. Have your proper identity in Christ. Listen to what Jesus says. Because really, at the end of the day, wealth, true wealth, true riches ultimately are found in who? In Christ. For you say, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And then he goes on in that same passage and says, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone who opens the door, I'll come in and I'll be with them. Find your riches in Christ this day. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We acknowledge that our hearts are prone to wander, as we sang earlier, prone to leave the God we love. Uh, forgive us of that. And um, thank you for your grace and mercy and your patience. We pray for anybody here. Uh, that would still be in the category of the wicked and not knowing you, that you might turn them to you, that they might come uh, to know Christ in a real saving way. Uh, We pray for those of us here uh, who are suffering, help us to uh, trust in your timing that you will vindicate us. And we do pray, um, Lord, that we would just be great stewards of whatever resources, whatever degree of riches we have. I Uh, We're all aware that as we look at the world, even those of us who maybe don't have much have so much more than uh, many of our brothers and sisters around the world. But we pray that we would use those stewards in stewardship uh, to further your kingdom, to encourage, and to uh, bless others. Help us to have a, a right view that ultimately what matters more than anything is not things that are transient and decaying into this world, but ultimately Jesus. So we pray in his name. Amen. All right, this time, uh, the guys that are going to pass out the communion elements can, can come up. Uh, we read in the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. It says, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles, they reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup... He gave thanks and said, take this and divide it amongst you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. I think in light of today's passage, what we're really celebrating is the riches we have in Christ. 
that there should be, and, and, and I'm guilty of this as the next person, there should be a joy and excitement when we ponder and we consider the gospel. When we consider where we were, where we are now, what God has accomplished, and he's done it towards people who are so prone to wander and sin against them. So when we're celebrating the body being broken and the blood being shed, we're celebrating that Jesus loved you so much that he died in your place. So it's a reason to rejoice. Now Paul does warn to not participate in an unworthy manner. He said, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread of the, eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body drinks judgment on himself. So many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. Well, what does it look like to participate in an unworthy manner? First of all, if you're an unbeliever, don't participate. If you're not trusting in Christ, please do not take one of the elements. Instead, use this time to pray. Use this time to communicate uh, to God and, and see what God is doing in your heart. Another reason to not is maybe if you're living in willful rebellion and sin against God, and you're just really in a dark place spiritually, maybe God wants to use this time uh, to bring conviction in your life. But here's the thing I want to stress. This isn't for perfect people. If it's for perfect people, guys, don't pass out anything and we'll just sing and then we'll leave. No, it's, it's for people that need Jesus. So I would encourage you to use this as a time of refreshment for weary souls. Parents, I always encourage you, exercise caution. But if your child has faith that's consistent with repentance, they too should participate with us. So let me pray and then we're going to pass out the elements while we sing. And then we'll close by taking the elements. Uh, God, we, we thank you for these little moments of grace in your life, these little opportunities where we can come before you, uh, where we can find nourishment, refreshment uh, spiritually. I'm very confident there's many people who, today, who are here today who are tired, who are weary. School started, work is busy, personal problems going on, relational strife financial difficulties, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a combination of all of those things. And they're here today that even, even the rain caused them to second guess coming to church to kind of explain it away. It's, it's kind of bad out there and you know, I can just watch it online or whatever the case is. God, we, we pray that you would do what only you can do, that you would encourage, that you would reinvigorate us, that you would um, really get us um, at a place where we're more prepared and better equipped uh, to go through our week this next week. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.